do. But before we do that, I want to I want to talk to you this morning. The, the message that I planned for this morning, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll share that next Sunday morning. But I want to offer you a challenge from my heart. This morning, one of the staff guys asked me, he said, he said, Pastor, what's your favorite soda? And I, I don't know what my favorite soda is. And I wasn't trying to be spiritual, but I just said, I don't know what my favorite soda is, but I can tell you what my, what my favorite scripture is. It's my life verse. My life verse is found in Colossians chapter 3, and it says this, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. For me, that's huge. I, um, I'm the 12th of 13 children. I was, I'm, I'm number seven of eight li- who, who, who lived together uh, at home at the same time. Uh, can I tell you something? When you're, when you're number seven, here's what you know, you weren't planned. Right? It just was biology. And I'm well aware of that. Then, um, you know, when, when, my, um, when my father died and, and my, mom, my mom had a new guy come into the house and, and just all of the radical dysfunction that brought, the, the, the negative words that were spoken over me in my, in my formative years had huge impact. And in fact, there's still some ripple effect of that to this day, right? So, for example, I never eat before I speak because I get crazy nervous. Um, people think, man, you must just be this great extrovert people person. No, y'all scare me to death. A uh, story you know that. I, where I'm most comfortable, I'm most comfortable being by myself or, or, or with a few, uh, uh, just with a few people. I, uh, public deals, it's why I don't go to a lot of concerts and things like that. People ask me, uh, so living in Orlando, do you go to Disney World? I, I don't because I, I, get, I, get, I get anxious in crowds, which is crazy that God has to be pastor of a church that has this many people that are here already and the potential with as many seats as we have, right? Uh, and yet that's just what God does and, 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 I'm, and I'm, I'm grateful for it. I'm, great, I'm grateful for the journey. But But I, I, I tend to, my, my, my challenge is this issue over feeling valued. And, 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 and that God would speak over me and say this. And not just over me, that He speaks this over you as well. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, the value that that communicates, it's, it's incomparable. And, and in that, there's, there's something about it that is, that is, that is comforting and settling and also empowering. That's the reason why it makes sense to me that that, that, that statement that, that, we're, that we are chosen and dearly loved. It then says this, it says, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. See, I, I, can, be, I can be me, I can be who I am because I know that I did not choose God, He first chose me, right? God demonstrated His love for me and that while I was yet a sinner, He died for me, Romans 5, 8 says. And so, understanding that, understanding that He chose me, right? John 14, you did not choose me, I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. It's to my Father's glory that you bear this fruit. I tell you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. It then… It, it positions me well whew, to 
just breathe and, and not have to be worked up about a whole lot of stuff. And I can, I can be the witness that God's called me to be, right? Clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with one another, forgive whatever grievances you have against one another, and forgive as God has forgiven you, as the Lord Jesus has forgiven you, and over all these virtues, put on love. Love. It, it was love in Luke chapter 15 that drew people to Jesus. And in, in the beginning of Luke chapter 15, it tells us this in the first verse. It says that many uh, tax collectors and sinners were gathered around Jesus. But the Pharisees began to murmur. Pharisees began to murmur. I want you to say that, say that word with me. Murmur. Ready? One, two, three. Murmur. Say it again. Murmur. It sounds like a bunch of cattle, doesn't it? Murr. Murmur. Murmur. And they were murmuring, right? They were muttering amongst themselves. And it's fascinating to me that they would be irritated that Jesus was spending time with, with publicans and sinners or tax collectors and sinners. And yet they were, they were, they were irritated about it, even angry about it. Well, look at this guy. Look at, look at what he's doing. What was Jesus doing? He was modeling, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with one another. I, I told the pastors in our prayer time this morning, I said, that's the theme, that, that's my theme verse. If I could pick a theme verse for my church, for Calvary, it would be that verse. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, just knowing that, right? Clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. What I want the world, when the world thinks of Calvary, when they think of you and me, I want them to think compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, forgiveness, love. Jesus demonstrates that, right? And when Jesus demonstrates that, the religious have a problem with it. He, he spends time with, with, with tax collectors and sinners, and he eats with them. Now, I, I want to put you in that context for a moment, if you'd allow me. When we, when we think about eating with them, when, when, when we hear that, we think, oh, they get together and eat, right? And so, so for example, if I were to say to, if I were to say to Peter this morning, hey, Peter, let's go grab lunch. Now, what Peter knows is it's not just about consuming food, right? Because we can eat alone. What it is, it's about, it's about connection. So, there's a connection there, right, when we, when we share a meal together. But if Peter and I were go, to go out to eat uh, uh, today, here's what would happen. He would order his meal, I would order my meal, and we would eat together. Now, Peter, I, I uh, value you as a friend, I appreciate you as a friend, yet how would you feel today if we were to go out to lunch? Don't answer yet. That's not the whole question. <laughs> how would you feel if we were to go out to lunch and your food came, and, and as, they, as they sat your food in front of you, I reached across the table and, uh, and put my hands in your food and took some… It just eat the look on your face even right then. It was just, it, right? Because it'd be like, wait, wait, wait. I don't know if we're that close of friends. I'm not even comfortable. Some of you are thinking, I'm not even comfortable when my family does that. By the way, they've got a thing up here that says dismiss middle school. I'm not dismissing the middle school because I want them to be in here and hear this. Okay? So, middle schoolers, pay attention. How's that? 
In Jesus' day, when they ate together, it was about a month ago, I was in China. And uh, every meal that we ate, they brought the food out and they put it on a lazy Susan, right? And we're all eating chopsticks. And, and I, I'm, traveling with, I'm traveling with 15 other Americans, most of which are, it's a comedy to watch them try to use these chopsticks. But what people are doing is this, they're taking these wooden sticks, putting food in their mouth, and then they're taking these wooden sticks and they're putting them in, putting into the stuff of food, right? Some of you, that just made you nauseous even thinking about it. But that, it, was, it was communal dining. In Jesus' day, when they broke bread together, they would break bread together. They would touch the bread. They would touch the food. They would, they would reach in and they would grab the, they would grab the grapes. They would, it, it was, so eating was more than just sharing a meal together. It was doing life together. There was a, there was a connection there that went beyond cordial. There was a, a closeness. When you shared a meal with somebody, there was a closeness. And, and Jesus was getting close to people who were unclean. And the, the, the religious people of the day, they, they were uncomfortable with that. See, God loves the world. God loves my neighbors. God loves… God loves the world. You know, my… Part of my mission field in Orlando, just kind of a place that I've stumbled on, is this this place, that's, it's half restaurant, it's half dive bar. I don't sit at the bar, that's not my vibe. Um, I go in and I order my food. And, uh, and I, I realized the first time that I went there, I said, you know, the food's not bad, um, but this is a great opportunity. It's a great place for me to connect with, with people who have yet to experience the love of God in a real way. Lost people. And, and I'm convinced of this. If, if, I'm not, if I'm not engaged with lost people, that, that I'm not fulfilling the mission that God has for me, the mission that He has for the church. What, what Jesus models in, in Luke chapter 15, right? He's chosen, he's dearly loved, and what he does is he puts himself in a place clothed with, with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, and, and he, he operates in love. So the religious people of the day, they have a hard time with it, and Jesus tells three stories, three parables. And, and I, I'm convinced of this, I'm convinced that, that Luke 15, that it is a, it's a powerful statement that, that that God makes for us to understand, number one, His heart, and number two, our mission. He tells these three stories. He first tells the story of a lost sheep, right? So, the, 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 the 
Pharisees, the religious people, they're muttering, they're murmuring, murmur, they're murmuring. And, and Jesus says, let me tell you a story. He said, who of you, if you had a hundred sheep, and one of those sheep were to wander off, who of you would, lo- would not leave the 99, go after the one? And when the one is found, you would put that sheep on your shoulders. Bring the sheep back home and say, rejoice with me, for that which is lost is found. Or a woman who has ten coins and loses one. She would light a lamp, diligently sweep the room, and look until she finds the lost coin. And when she finds a lost coin, she will say, rejoice with me. Let me tell you another story he said. There was a young man, the younger son, who goes to his father and says, Father, I want my share of the estate now. The father gives him what he asks, and shortly after the father gives him what he asks, the son leaves the father, travels to a distant country, and he spends all that he has received, wastes all that he has received on lavish living. And just as he runs out of the resource the father has given him, a famine comes across the land. It becomes so severe, and the younger son is in um, such difficulty that he hires himself out to a landowner of that country to feed his pigs, his unclean animals. And as he's there living with the pigs, he longs to eat what the pigs eat, but no one will give him any. And then he comes to his senses. And he says this, wow, my father's servants live better than this. I'm no longer worthy to be a member of my father's household, but if I go back to him and beg, maybe he will let me be one of his servants. So he makes his way back to the father, and while he's still a long way off, the father sees him and runs to him, and he begins to share with his father his well-rehearsed speech. Father, I am no longer worthy to be called your son, and the father said, no, 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 no. (laughs) Bring the best robe, put it on my son a ring for his finger, sandals for his feet, kill the fatted calf because it is time to rejoice because that which is lost is found. And in those three stories, here's what we see. We see that which is lost but doesn't know that it's lost and doesn't know the way to be found. We see that which is lost knows that it's lost but doesn't know the way to be found, and that which is lost and knows the way back, but it takes him a while to figure out that that's what he should do. And and, in those three stories are the stories of your, some of you, your wayward children. Some of you, your coworkers, your your classmates, your your friends, your, your neighbors, your former friends. 
And in and, and, and Luke chapter 15, Jesus gives us a clear representation of our world. Those around us who have no clue of their lost state and, and, and obviously then don't know what to do about it. Those who have come to the understanding that life isn't working for them and they don't know what to do about it. And those who have experienced the grace of God, but life has taken them very far away. And they know the way back, but guilt and shame has created a self-imposed prison. Right? That's where the, the prodigal son, guilt, oh my goodness, what have I done? My father's servants live better than this. Guilt, I did something bad. Shame, I am something bad. Shame, I'm no longer worthy to be a member of my father's household. Maybe he'll let me be a servant. And we live in this world that is bound by guilt and shame. And the heart of the father, while the son is still a long way off, he runs to him. Here's what, here's what I love about, I love all three of those parables, but here's what I love about the story of the prodigal son. Have you ever, have you ever been driving down the highway and you know that you're close to a hog farm? Right? It, it, it has a way of being revealing, doesn't it? I, uh, shortly after I, I transitioned from, um, from working in the computer business to working uh, as in, in full-time vocational ministry as a youth pastor, uh, one, of the, one of the gentlemen from the church uh, approached me on Sunday morning and he said, hey, uh, Pastor Ed, uh, I, I was wondering if maybe you could help me this week. I, I, need, I need help. I'm, I'm working on a construction. He, he did construction. He says, I'm working on a construction project and I, I could use an extra set of hands. And I said, um, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll clear my schedule. I'll, I'll see what I can do to help. He says, good, because... Um, my brother-in-law, we're going to go to my brother-in-law's farm. Uh, he's, been, he's been harassing me and making fun of me because of my faith. And so you're going to go and you're going to lead him to Jesus. I said, well, there's a lot of, that's a lot of pressure, right? Uh, but I said, sure, I'll, I'll go. I didn't know what we were going to be doing. And, and what we were doing, we were working putting a new roof on a hog confinement uh, for feeder pigs. So, so feeder pigs, those are the pigs that aren't quite babies, but they're not quite ready for market. They're feeding them, right? They're fattening them up, getting them ready for market. And so we put a new roof on this, on this, on this barn that held these feeder pigs while the pigs were still in the barn, right? So all day long, we're ripping this metal roof off while these pigs are, this is what these pigs did all day long right? They would be at one end of the barn, and then one of the pigs would get bored or frightened, I don't know what, and he would start going, ring, 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 and he would run to the other end and impale himself in the other end of the barn. And then all the other pigs, not knowing why the first pig ran, would just follow him, right? And so all day long, while I'm above, above, there are these pigs who are just running back and forth, screaming and sliming themselves into the wall. I'm telling you, my nerves, I was frazzled, <laughs> right? I said, God love the people that are in this business. This is not for me. I got home and my wife lovingly said, you stink. Like you need to hose off outside, right? And so I scrubbed, I washed outside, left my clothes outside. Neighbors might've got a show, but that's a whole different story. And, and uh, but 
Three weeks later, I would do something and I would touch my fingers in, in hog dust that had gotten underneath my fingers. I, could, I was like, seriously, what does it take to get rid of the smell of pigs? Now, having experienced that, what fascinates me is Pastor Aaron, stand up. Here's what the father does. The, along with it, he runs and he grabs the son and he embraces him. Right? He never says, dude, you stink. Right? Even after, even after he tells the son, no, 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 I don't, no, no, <laughs> no speeches. You are lost, you're found. He doesn't say to him, go clean up. Right? He doesn't tell him, go clean up. He says, put a robe on his back, put a ring on his finger, sandal on his feet, let's throw a party. The father was not concerned about how the son smelled. All he was worried about was lost, found. We live in a world that has all kinds of labels, right? And, and if somebody were to come in and, and, work, and, and try to figure out the demographics of, of Calvary today, they would label you, right? They would label you by ethnicity. They would label you by gender. Some would, some would try to categorize you by, um, by your net worth, by your uh, educational history, by, uh, by life journey. God has two lists, lost and found. There was a time in my life that I was on the lost list. And when I was on the lost list, God didn't judge me. God didn't beat me up. Here's what he did. He sought after me. And then, and then there was a time in my life that I was on the found list. And God rejoiced over me. And then into my, into my junior high school years, and even in the beginning of my high school years, I was, I was that child that wandered. Drunk more than I was sober, getting into trouble. And then that moment came for me, it was, it was God speaking to me, as clear as I'm speaking to you right now. And, and even in that moment, just because of the, just because of the pain that was self-imposed and the, and the pain that was a result of just the world that I lived in. Even in that moment, in my, in my wake-up call, I was like, okay, God, I'll try this. But if it doesn't work, I'm, I'm jetting. And God didn't layer a bunch of rules and regulations on me. Here's what He did. He, he put a robe on my back. He put a ring on my finger. He put sandals on my, on my feet. Can I tell you something? I had some religious people in my life at the day, and they murmured and they muttered, but God never did. And I stand before you today as a guy who was once lost, 
and then found. A guy that wandered and came back to faith. And have this this overwhelming sense of awe of, of God's love. And when I And when I step out of these doors and I step into the city that I live and the city that I've come to love, I I'm overwhelmed by those who don't realize that they're lost and don't know what to do about it. Those who know that there's something missing in their life, that they're lost, but they don't know what to do about it. and the thousands in our city who have wandered, and they know that they've wandered, but guilt and shame keep them from the relationship with the Father, that the Father stands with arms open wide. In Luke chapter 15, Jesus' explanation, and then His repeated declarations over us, the Great Commission that we're supposed to go and make disciples, His commandment that we're supposed to go out into the highways and byways and compel them to come in, and and then powerful scriptures like Colossians chapter 3. I want you to know this morning that you are chosen and dearly loved. And God wants you to live a life of freedom and joy. And He wants to work through you. To see those in your sphere of influence come to the same realization. That's the reason why the Bible says, he who wins souls, she who wins souls, they who win souls, they're wise. So, I want to ask you a question, not, not, in, not, in, not in judgment, but in, in encouragement. Who are the people that are outside of relationship with Jesus that you are actively engaging with to help them. Because here's, here's what the woman did that lost the coin. You know what she did? She lit, a, she, 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 she lit a lamp. She brought light to a dark place. You know what she did? She, she swept the floor and, and she, she diligently searched I believe that God brought you here this morning to challenge you that the time has come for you to light a lamp and for you to diligently search for that which is lost and bring it from a state of lostness to a state of being found. I believe that that God brought you here this morning because He he wants you to re-engage with that prodigal. 
Because God loves people more than anything. Last, last Sunday I had the opportunity to I had the opportunity to preach in a, a church in Plovdiv, Bulgaria. Plovdiv, Bulgaria, it's interesting, it's, it's one of the oldest cities. It's the oldest city in Europe, it's like the fifth oldest city in the world that, 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 are, you know, that are still going from the time that they started. And there's this amazing group of believers that are, that are doing an, just an incredible work for the Lord. A couple of guys from the church, Matt Yancey and Marvin Couch, were traveling with me, and they, they asked me on Friday, they said, uh, so what are you speaking about on Sunday? And I said, I don't know. And they said, when do you typically know what you're going to speak on? And I said, well, if I'm at Calvary, I said, I, I can tell you what our sermon schedule is until Easter of next year, right? Because the Bible says to live our lives not as unwise, but as wise. And so, I believe that it's important to operate in wisdom, and so we have a plan of what we're going to communicate. Some people say, well, what about allowing the Holy Spirit to move? Well, I, I believe this. I believe that the Holy Spirit can talk to me about a, 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 a game plan and a schedule for speaking. I also believe, and today's a classic example of that, that if the Holy Spirit wants to go a different direction, we'll go a different direction. We've got no problem with that. I said, but typically when I'm going to an event like this, I typically will know a week ahead of time and I'll have it laid out. I said, but I don't get nervous about it because God always shows up. And I said, I, I don't know what God is going to have me speak on, but I, I, I'm confident that, that He has a word for the Plovdiv Church. So, Saturday at lunchtime, God, God just really powerfully hit me with what I was supposed to speak. And, and not, only did he, not only did He hit me with that, He, he challenged me um, that I needed to that I need to share this with Calvary. And, and it's, it's a story, and it's a, it's a story that I shared here a couple years ago. And it's a story of a, a young man, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to bring this time of our service to a close, and then we'll, we'll pray and we'll do a baby dedication and worship the Lord through giving. Uh, but it, it's the It's a story of a man who, he was living in Massachusetts, and there was the California gold rush and then the Colorado gold rush, right? And uh, in the midst of the Colorado gold rush, this, this gentleman from Massachusetts got gold fever, and so he went out to Colorado, and he found gold, and, uh, and actually found a decent amount of gold, got pretty excited about it, secured a large claim, and then went back to Massachusetts showed the gold to his family and said, look, we are all going to get rich, but here's what I need. I need to buy equipment to where instead of me digging with a shovel, I've got big equipment to where I can mine all of this gold I have found. So he convinced his family and his family invested. He also convinced his nephew to go out with him. His nephew was a young man by the name of R.U. Darby. And so, 
uh, his, the uncle, which we don't know the uncle's name, the uncle and R.U. Darby, they go back out to Colorado. They, they buy some, some pretty uh, sizable equipment for that time period in history, and they begin to dig. And they dig. And they dig. And they dig. And, and the, the, the initial gold that he found, it, it, he, they're not finding any more gold. And they continue to dig and dig and dig. Hundreds of feet. They dig. In the midst of this, the uncle dies. R.U. Darby takes over operations and continues to dig and dig and dig. And he's, 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 he's chewing through earth and he's chewing through his family's investment. And he reaches the point, he reaches the conclusion, he says, you know what, before I burn through all of my family's money, I need to recognize that this is a failed business. I need to cut my losses and get out while I still have something even with which to buy food. So he goes to a scrap metal guy, convinces a scrap metal guy to buy his equipment at scrap prices. He takes a little bit of money that he has left and he goes back to Massachusetts. The scrap dealer has this equipment, has the claim and says, I've got nothing to lose. And he digs four more feet. And he lands on the biggest reservoir of gold in Colorado Gold Rush history. R.U. Darby gave all that effort and he stopped. Actually, I said four. It wasn't four. It was three. He stopped three feet short. All of my life, all of my life, I've been around people who are living their life three feet short. All across America, there are churches that are living three feet short. And here's what I'm convinced. I'm convinced of this. I'm convinced with everything that I know, with everything that I am, I'm convinced that we as a church, that we're just three feet short. Can I offer you, this is a reason why we're doing this, this Sunday night experience. It's to, it's, to, it's, to, it's, to, it's to move the church just a little bit further into the things of the Spirit. It's, it's why we've done things, quite honestly, it's why we've done things like to bring uh, Pastor Aaron on staff and, and have him champion small groups and connections. Because we recognize that we're, we're three feet short. And, and we're not just as a body, we're not just, it's just not as a body we're three feet short. So many of us individually are alive, we're, we're three feet short. God I surrendered this part, this part, this part, and this part of my life to you. I understand, God, that I've, that I've, I've held on to this relationship. I understand that I've held on to this habit. I, I understand that I've, I've held on to this hurt. I understand, God, that I've held on to this aspect of my, of my, of my pocketbook. Right? God, I, I understand that, that, that there's, there's this one area of my life that's, that's unyielded to you. But God, look, look how far that I've dug. Look, look how far that I've done. 
And we don't understand why we're not seeing the power of God like we would want to see in our lives individually. We don't understand why we're not experiencing the blessing of God like, like we think we should be seeing. And it's because we're living our life three feet short. And God brought you here this morning to say to you that you are chosen, you're holy, and you're dearly loved. Don't let the enemy convince you that you are incapable of pushing through just three more feet. That's it, church. That's it. One last thing. I made this comment to, to the pastors this morning. I said, I have, I've been around, I've heard so many times in churches them talk about being on the edge of breakthrough that it's almost cliche. And I told them, I said, I, said, I, want, I want to give you some thought, some definition this morning. I said, even though it's cliche, I, I believe that's, that's where we are as a, as a body. But more than that, I, I believe this. I believe that we're, that we're standing on an edge. And, and there is the opportunity to step into this amazing thing that God has for us or to step back into malaise. But there is not the ability to stay where we're at. I said, in the natural for many people that would create anxiety, the fact that there's the potential to regress. But because of the 7,000 promises that we have in the Word of God, we don't worry about regressing. Because we know that what Jeremiah said is true, for I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you a future and a hope. Because we know God's heart regarding stewardship, that God wouldn't bring all the resource that's represented in this room all the ministry resource, all the Holy Spirit gifts resource, all the, all the intellectual resource, all of the relationship resource. And because we know God's love, we know this, that God's plan for us and His destiny for us is to move forward. And God will not force us, but He's presented to us the opportunity. We have to push forward those last three feet. You know, my, my experience has been this. I've, I've, I've had the opportunity in my life to be a part of several really massive God moments. I was on staff in a church where we saw in about a six-week period of time, we saw 1,400 first-time decisions for Christ. 
It was crazy. The spiritual warfare that we dealt with just prior to that breakthrough was intense. I, um, I was a youth pastor of a youth ministry that went from 30 students to over 300 students in about a nine-month period of time. And, and, and just before we saw this just massive breakthrough, we faced spiritual warfare like I didn't even realize was possible. And, and we're in that moment here at Calvary. There are, there are just behind the scenes, there, God's moving in a profound way, doing some really cool things. And then there's these, these elements of spiritual warfare that are, that are really unprecedented. Just stuff that, craziness, right? And, and here's what I'm confident of, is that if I were to hang out with you for a couple of days, your story would likely be very similar. And here's the reason why, because you're three feet short, right? It's always the toughest dig. That last three feet is always the toughest dig. I remember when I lived up north when I had to shovel out my driveway, the last three feet was the worst part. Now, I will tell you this, I'm totally glad that I live in Orlando because I don't have to shovel sunshine. Right? People sometimes will ask me, would you ever go back and pastor up north? No. Number one, I know that God has me where he has me. Number two, if God says, Ed, you have a choice, I'm like, God, I don't have to shovel sunshine. I'm in. But that last three feet. So here's, here's my challenge to you. Keep digging. Okay? With that wayward son, keep digging. With that wayward daughter, keep digging. With that neighbor who says, look, quit telling me about Jesus, keep digging. With the co-workers that make fun of you because of your faith, keep digging. To the classmates that call you Bible thumper, keep digging. To the spouse who tells you you're unworthy, keep digging. Keep digging. Don't stop. Three feet short because the the shepherd looks for the sheep until he finds it. The woman lights a lamp, sweeps the floor, and diligently, diligently searches until she finds it. And the father, while it's still, the son is still a long way off, runs to him. 
thank you for listening. We hope you've been blessed by the ministry of Calvary Orlando. We invite you to join us in person at Calvary Orlando for one of our Sunday morning worship experiences each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. To find out more about Calvary, please visit our website at calvaryorlando.org. Here you can find our latest events and ministry opportunities. Thanks for listening and God bless.